Hi, friend. Thank you so much for downloading this podcast. And it is my sincere hope you'll hear something that will encourage, edify, equip, and then get you out into the marketplace of ideas. But before you listen, I'm going to tell you about this month's Truth Tool. My Truth Tool is offered to anyone who gives a financial gift to In the Market with Janet Parshall. And this month, I've chosen the book, Connecting the Dots, What God is Doing When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Ever been there? Of course you have. We all have been. Sometimes we think we're walking in circles, and we're wondering whether or not God has left us, we've walked away from Him, what in the world we're doing if we're even in the center of His will. So this book is designed to help you find peace and confidence in your current challenge. And all of us have challenges. It also will make sense of most of the lessons you're learning right now. And the most important part of this and why I felt this would be appropriate is because it will help clarify in your mind the unique mission and message that God has given to you. So the book is called Connecting the Dots. It's yours for a gift of any amount. And all you have to do is call 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. And give a gift of any amount, and we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. If you prefer to do it online, that's easy as well. In the market with JanetParshall.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Click on through, make your gift, and again, we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. Just below the picture of the book is a description of what it means to be a partial partner. Those are people who give every month a gift of their own choosing. They set the level of giving. I don't. But they'll always get the truth tool. And in addition to that, a weekly newsletter that goes out as well. So consider being a partial partner or getting a copy of Connecting the Dots by calling 877-JANET-58 or online at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Now please enjoy the program. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pleasure. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely rare safety move by a nation. 17 years of Palestinians and Israelis Welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. So glad we're going to spend the hour together. Here's a question for you as we get started. How much do you care about people? Okay, just think, wait, you don't, don't have to raise your hand. Don't answer me. Don't use a lifeline or call a friend just yet. But just think about that for a minute. How much do you care about people? Okay, have you ever sat waiting for a plane and you watch all the people that are at the gate and they're about to get on board that plane and you think, If for some reason that plane does not arrive safely at its location and that plane crashes and every person on board steps into eternity, did you ever stop and think, well, I'm taken care of, I don't have to worry about that? Or do you ever think how many of those people perished without knowing that Jesus gave his life for them? Only Jesus, the only name under heaven whereby men will be saved. Do you have that passion enough for people to be able to say, I want to tell them about Jesus? Or... Because we're in a post-truth world, because self is engrandized at every corner, because it really is about telling your own truth, finding your own voice, or deconstructing your faith, you're not bothering to tell anybody about Jesus because, well, you don't want to be judged. You want don't want to be marginalized. You don't want to be part of that vast right-wing, narrow-minded, religious right conspiracy out there. Yeah, but then there's the reality of heaven and the absolute reality of hell. So what do we do with that? And if we really care about people, not just the people we like, not just our family and friends, but people in general, are you bold enough to be able to say, Lord, today I pray that you'd have someone come into my life where I can actively share the gospel with them? Not my words, Lord, but yours. I pray like Jeremiah of old, your words in my mouth, oh God, your words in my mouth, and help me to listen with the ears of my heart. 
so that I can share this message of the good news of the cross. That's one of the reasons, and there are many, but that's one of the reasons why I just love Ray Comfort. I just love, and he would not appreciate this word, but I'm going to use it anyway from my vantage point. I appreciate his courage. For him, it's like breathing. He doesn't think it's courage to go out and to share the gospel. He just does it. He can't help himself. It's just who he is. But he shows courage to me when I watch all of his videos on the YouTube channel, and I hope you do as well. And it's courage to be able to go to people and ask them whether or not they believe that Jesus is the only way or whether or not they've broken any of the Ten Commandments or to discuss the reality of hell. Now, there's a politically incorrect topic, if ever there was one. But he does it, and he does it from such a place of love. You talk about that mix in Ephesians of truth in love, not truth or love. Ray does it so beautifully. Now, I know he's been doing it for decades So he doesn't want it to come across as being too complicated, but he wants us to learn how to do it. And I just think talking to Ray on a regular basis, well, he's contagious. There's no other way I can say it. His contagious love for Jesus and for the lost is something you and I need to get on a regular basis, a very healthy dose of that kind of passion for the lost. If you don't know who Ray is, I feel sorry for you. I hope you know who he is better after this hour together, but he is the founder and CEO of Living Waters. He is the best-selling author of almost 100 books. It just they keep coming faster than I can count. But books like How to Know God Exists and The Evidence Bible. He is the co-host of the award-winning TV program The Way of the Master, which airs in 190 countries. And by the way, his YouTube channel, and I hope you subscribe. I subscribe. I hope you do. It'll come up in the algorithms. You'll get to watch him on a regular basis. It's so fun at night to see Ray's face constantly popping up in my family room. <laughs> I feel like I've just had him over for dinner. His YouTube channel has had over 230 million views, over 1 million subscribers. And he does live in California. But one of the many books that he's written is called Why Jesus? Answering Life's Most Important Question. And what Ray does so often in his books is he really kind of transcribes these interactions with people as he shares the gospel. Not only are they encouraging, but they're illustrative. They teach us how to have this back and forth in a way that's kind, compassionate, loving, but absolute. And that's what he does in Why Jesus. When you think about it, why did Jesus have to die? Why is Jesus the only name under heaven where men will be saved? Why did God become man? And why was his name Jesus? I mean, these are marvelous questions in a world that, don't let the fool you for one minute, is still interested in getting answers to those kinds of questions. So, Ray, I welcome you. I love your books. You know, I just count you as a friend, and I appreciate you so much. I want to start with an idea. This idea, You make it look so easy, but it isn't. That That's part of the joy of all of this, is that you make it seem so effortless, but it, the idea has to come from somewhere, and my guess is a lot of time on your knees asking the Lord to give you creativity and ideas. But this idea of going out with a camera and starting to talk to people on the street, when did that happen initially, and how did that idea come about? Oh, I'd love to tell you that, but I'm going to make a very small correction, if that's okay. You said 230 million views. My humility must correct you. It's 274 million views. But what's 34 million views? Unbelievable. And to that point, you had no idea. You're right about this in Why Jesus, that eventually you'd have multiple, multiple millions of people who would be watching on YouTube. This was a man who said, yes, Lord, and walked out the door and said, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. 
So tell me about this idea of capturing content that you could put on YouTube. Yeah, it started way back in Australia. I, I, uh, I was, I'm from New Zealand. I discovered what was called Hell's Best Kept Secret. That's the importance of using the Ten Commandments to prepare the heart for grace. To do what Moody did, Spurgeon, Wesley, Jesus, John the Baptist, everybody, they all, they all used law before they preached grace. Um, and so I started doing that, and I, I saw people's faces change. Instead of me talking about some wonderful plan that God had for their life, I talked about the fact that God had destroyed death. The reason we die is because we've sinned against God. The wages of sin is death. Death is wages that God is paying us for our sins. We're on death row, and our death will be evidence to us that God is deadly serious about sin. And then I'd open up the commandments, and I'd see people's faces change. They'd become very serious about the message. And when Christ was preached on the cross, they would embrace it and say, boy, this makes sense. Mm. And I remember thinking multiple times, I so wish, Christians can wish, I guess, I so desire to have a camera on my shoulder to capture what's going on so I could mm. show other Christians how effective this is because it's biblical and it's effective. And so I'll finish once we've stopped the music. <laughs> Says the professional. <laughs> Thank you, Ray. I appreciate that. We're going to take a break. I'm glad we're just getting started. I know that we're all so much the better for it when Ray comes and teaches us how to do this. This, again, I'm going to repeat myself at the risk of being redundant. This is about you and I catching this fire to really care so much for people that we are unashamed and we're bold and we're compassionate and we go and we tell eternities at stake. It doesn't get any bigger than that. More with Ray Comfort right after this. God's work in your life has prepared you with a unique message to share and a problem to solve. That truth is why I've chosen Connecting the Dots as this month's truth tool. God uses you to point to His goodness and to give you meaning and purpose. Ask for your copy of Connecting the Dots when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Ray Comfort is with us, founder and CEO of Living Waters and the best-selling author of more than 100 books. One of them is called Why Jesus? Answering Life's Most Important Question. And we'll get to that in a bit. But I want to go back to the beginning. So you talked about getting out on the street, talking to people about Jesus and thinking to yourself, if I just had a camera, it would be wonderful to show Christians how going through the law first before you get to grace is a powerfully effective way to share the gospel. So that's where we left it before the break. Pick up the story from there, Ray, please. Yeah, so uh, uh, a television program, this is way back in mid-90s, called Jewish Voice, mm. had me on their program because i got a Jewish background. And then they said, can we send a camera over to California to watch you witness? And I said, sure. So I had this camera follow me around from Jewish Voice, professional cameraman and sound man. And we went to Hollywood and Beverly Hills. And then we went to Seal Beach. And at Seal Beach, I found a young guy. He's about 16 or 17, maybe a little older. And I took him through the commandments, and he was very flippant at first. And then his face sobered up, and he he understood the message of the gospel. It was just very, very moving. So that was the first, and we put it on YouTube. And uh, since then, we've had about nearly 3,000 videos put up. Wow. Unbelievable. You say in the book, Why Jesus, and I thought this was very transparent on your part, that you don't want people to overthink this, to make it too complicated. And you drew a comparison between 
learning to drive a car with an automatic, where you said in the book even a child could do it. But there are some rules of the road. But you don't want people to get so bound up in the rules that they use that as an excuse either not to go or they make it so complex that they won't go and tell. Talk to me about that. Yeah, it's well put. Um, this generation probably hasn't got a clue what a stick shift is, but we used to call it <laughs> kangaroo gasoline. Because <laughs> what would happen, I can't even describe what you had to do to drive a car. You push the clutch in, it sounds like some sort of dance. Put the left foot in, <laughs> the right foot out, whatever, and swing it all about. But you put the clutch in, put it in the first gear, and then you've got to let the clutch out when you push the accelerator at the same time. If you don't do that, you end up making a car look like a kangaroo bouncing back and forth and so uh, it's very very complicated but with a with a uh, automatic you just get in and steer i heard of a what an eight eight nine year old kid drove to mcdonald's in his father's automatic car and drove back and he did really well they said eight years old and so anyone with a brain or even without a brain can drive an automatic <laughs> you just have to steer and so evangelism is, is real easy. It's like just steering. But I could put you off driving a car by just saying, okay, it's real easy, but just watch out for someone stepping out in the road and you run them over or someone slamming on the brakes and you hitting them in the back and they get injured in the back of the neck and you end up in a lawsuit and you end up in jail because you injured them. Um, don't worry. Um, just be careful of people driving behind you too because they can ram into you and cause the same problem. Uh, watch out for drunk drivers and people texting on the other side of the yellow line because the government is so concerned for us, they put a yellow line to protect us from death, which is very kind of them. And so if you go over the yellow line or the other guy on the other side, you'd, I could freak you out so you never mm -hmm. get in a car. But it's such a wonderful convenience to drive a car. And it's the same with evangelism. It's very, very simple. Just address the conscience. But I don't want to talk to you about the negative side because it's going to put you off. Just do it. And you'll find that it kind of comes naturally to you, just like steering. Mm, and so it's wow. just, it's very simple if you keep doing it again and again. So, and I completely concur with that. So let me talk about some of the um, cement buttresses that are in the road that prohibit people from doing this. And let me go. What did you say? <laughs> you know, in other words, the cement blocks. You ever see the speed bumps right in the yeah. middle of the road? Okay, buttresses so the, the... sound like someone wore them back in the last century on their dress. <laughs> exactly right. All right. So the reason that people, they're saying, okay, I can get in this car. It's an automatic. I can drive it. No problem. I don't want to get in the car, and I don't want to drive it. I'm going to tell you why. Because I'm going to hit one of those speed bumps, and mm. somebody's going to say something to me that's going to make me feel bad. Note the use of the personal pronoun. It's going to make me feel bad. I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to get asked a question I can't answer. And after all, they'll know we're Christians by our love, by our love. And if I start talking about breaking the law in hell, that's not very loving, so I'm just not going to show up. You've heard this ad nauseum, but you do something that is so radically countercultural, just to the culture writ large, but to the church specifically. You dare to talk about hell. You preach through the law before you go to grace. And for a whole lot of postmoderns out there, this is anathema. You know, we just we're going to just show them love. We're never going to talk about violating the law or their conscience or the Ten Commandments because it's just not done in this touchy feely age. That's one of the reasons why I'm so attracted to you, Ray, as an evangelist, is because you don't care what's trendy or cultural. You know what works. You've been doing this for years. So talk to me why going through the law first is not a violation of the directive in Ephesians for truth and love. You've never made it a multiple choice test in your life. You've practiced both in equal measure. But we don't want to get to the truth part for some reason. And I think it's me centric, not the other person. If I love that person enough, I tell them the law is broken. You're dead, but I can give you the cure. 
That's right. I think God gave us, a, well, I, I don't think, God gave us a threefold strategy to reach the lost in Exodus chapter 4. Very interesting chapter. Uh, it's where Moses said he didn't really know what to say. And God says, well, here, here's the threefold strategy. It's a sort of comfort paraphrase. He said, see the rod that's in your hand? Throw it down on the ground. So Moses threw it down. He pulled back because it turned into a biting serpent, a horrible serpent. He freaked out. And then God said, reach out and take it by the tail. What's he talking about? And it really is, it's the law of Moses. We can throw it at the feet of sinners. We can terrify them because mm-hmm. the law is a biting serpent. Jesus spoke of it when he spoke of his death on the cross. John 3:16. leading up to that, he says, as Moses lifted up a serpent on a pole, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So when they looked to that serpent, when they looked to, to that pole, they were cured in the Old Testament. When they looked to Jesus, they're cured. And so what we do is we terrify sinners with the law. Paul spoke of the commandment being ordained to death. He saw that he said that which I thought was ordained to life, the commandment or the, the law, he said was ordained to death. It has a bite to it. It brings death, the wages of sinners death. And so the law can be used as a schoolmaster to bring sinners to Christ. So that was the first strategy that God gave Moses. Then he said, the second thing to do, he says, put your hand into your breast and pull it out. And it was leprous. He said, now put it back in and it was clean. And that is our own personal testimony. Our heart was very wicked, leprous of leprosy of sin in our hearts, but God cleansed us, cleansed us. And then the third strategy is, he said, if they won't then listen, he said, pour water on the ground and let it turn to blood, speaking of God's judgment. So when we come back, I'll share with you how, how you can do that. Excellent, excellent. Ray Comfort is with us. Many, many books, author of over 100, but I've chosen one as the resource, and it's germane to our conversation today. It's called Why Jesus? Answering Life's, Answering Life's Most Important Question, filled with wonderful transcriptions of conversations that Ray has had as he's using exactly the method he's describing to us and sharing the most important news humankind ever heard. Back after this. Why Jesus, one of the many books that Ray Comfort has written. He is the founder and CEO of Living Waters. And of course, he is the co-host of Way of the Master, which is seen in 190 countries around the world. His YouTube channel, please subscribe. There's over a million subscribers, by the way. And uh, almost 275 million people have viewed the YouTubes uh, that Ray puts out there. They're so good. They're so thought-provoking. But I want to go right back to Exodus chapter 4, which is a really interesting place. When you think about evangelizing, that's not my go-to place to start with. But Ray, you're breaking down beautifully exactly how that passage in Exodus 4 talks about preaching the law before we get to grace. So please continue explaining that to us. Yeah, just to summarize that God says, throw the, uh, the, the rod down, it turned to a serpent, and then Moses could take it by the tail. And we can take the law in our hand without it hurting us. D.L. Moody said, the law can only chase a man to Calvary no further. There's no condemnation from that law if you're in Christ, you're safe. So we can use the law as a schoolmaster to bring sinners to Christ. Second key was put your hand in your breast, pull it out, leprosy, put it in again, it's clean. That's how God cleansed your heart by his amazing grace. And thirdly, uh, God said to Moses, if they won't listen to those two signs, here's the last one. He said, take water, pour it on the ground and turn it to blood. That's speaking of the judgment of God. So when I share the, the, the law with a sinner and show him that God is justified and 
damning him because he's a lying thief, a blasphemer, a fornicator, an adulterer at heart, and he's not concerned about his salvation, then I share my own testimony. I say, look, God cleansed my heart. He, heart, he forgave me. I said, I've got assurance of eternal life, all because of his amazing grace, and I want to see you in heaven. I don't want you to go to hell. He says, I think all my friends will be in hell. Ha <laughs> mm. And so I go to the third. I go to the blood or the water turning to blood. I say something in love and in gentleness like, well, if my, my eyes meet your eyes on judgment day and you're still in your sins, I'm free from your blood because I've not held back from telling you the truth. And you'll look back on this day when you stand before a holy God in your sins and say, why didn't you slap my face that day in California? And I say, I can't slap your face. You'd be offended, but I can slap you with words. And I'm going to tell you, I'd rather fall under the face of the sun and fall into the hands of the living God. The mm. Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to awaken him to his terrible plight. I'm trying to put the fear of God in him because the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and through the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. And while people have an idolatrous understanding of God's character and nature, that he's like a big teddy bear in the sky that, or a, a divine butler where he comes when you click your fingers, he's nothing like that. He's the maker of the sun. You know, I say to people, do you think God sees everything? Yeah. Do you realize what he sees? He sees the middle atom in the sun because he made it. He sees right into it because he's the creator of all things. He sees your thought life. And every time you sin, the Bible says you store up his wrath that's going to be revealed on the day of judgment. And until people get a right understanding of God's character and nature, they'll not fear him and they'll not depart from their sins. And that's the problem with modern evangelism. We preach a, a God that's so oozing with love, he has no sense of justice or righteousness or truth. Mm. And it's a violation of the first and the second of the Ten Commandments where we shape a God to suit ourselves. Wow. Wow. So I'm going to say something back to you that you said before. Terrify sinners with the law. So in its application, I find it amazing. If that's what we're doing as step one, when the camera rolls before you post these videos up on your YouTube channel, when you're terrifying them with the law, here's what I rarely see. Somebody throwing a pejorative in your face or a curse word and turning and walking away. In fact, in many cases, they seem to be frozen. They have been terrified with the law, but they don't walk away. They don't move. If the law was so horrific when you're terrifying them that they didn't want to hear another word, the natural response one would anticipate is that they'd flee, but they stay. Why do you think that is? Because they're seeing I care about them. They're seeing that they are in terrible danger, and my motivation isn't to get them to join my church or to find right. happiness in right. Jesus. It's because they begin to see what I see that they are in terrible, terrible danger, mortal danger. The apostle Paul said, wherefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade man. Yesterday, I spoke to a Muslim, filmed it. He's a very nice guy. He'd been in the U.S. for about two months. He spoke very good English. He was from Pakistan. I said, how can a Muslim find everlasting life? He says, through repentance. So I shared with him how repentance can't get you out of man's court. You can say to a judge, yes, I murdered the guy, but I'm really sorry and I won't do it again. The judge is going to say, of course you should be sorry and of course you shouldn't do it again. You're going to jail. And the reason I told him that and got him to agree with me that repentance can't get you out of man's court was because I knew that as we got through the law, he's going to come back to me and say, I repent before God and God is merciful. And that's exactly what happened. And this Muslim said, oh, yes, I've broken the commandments, but God is rich in mercy. He was saying God is merciful and I just have to repent. I said, you remember? 
that won't get you out of man's court because the judge is bound by that which is right to do justice. And same with God. You need a savior. And afterwards, he says, this has been very interesting. I gave him one of my books. He says, I will read this. Mm. The exact opposite of what you think a Muslim, how mm-hmm. he would react. But he's trying to work out his own salvation by his own righteousness. That was his, I said, are you, who's going to make it to heaven? He says, good people. But we, we agreed as we went through the law, he wasn't good. So how could he be saved? He went to the repentance and then he had to forsake that, which left him with only Jesus to turn to. It left him looking up at that cross saying, Lord, save me. You know, Ray, and if I start this and you hear me taking a break, you understand how this works. So let me just put the question out there before the break. And that is, I find it fascinating that the Muslim raised the question about being a good person. In the book, Why Jesus, early on, you talked to, you, you put together two conversations that you had in the transcription. And again, this idea of being a good person. Why does that show up so frequently? Where did we get the idea that our goodness is good enough? And does this idea of goodness being sufficient, not just underscore the mandate of, quote, terrifying sinners with the law. I'm going to leave it there. Ray Comfort will answer when we get back. Our conversations always go too fast, so I want to give you a bunch of resources. I have a link to Living Waters. Go there. Ton of great information. I told you Ray's written more than 100 books. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. He's got some excellent things there on a regular basis. Back after this. the goal of In the Market? I'll tell you. In the Market equips men and women to think critically and act biblically. Why do we do this? So that we can be confident when speaking the truth in a confused culture. Are you willing to stand with me? Become a partial partner today and enjoy exclusive benefits only my partners receive while making an impact for the kingdom. Call 877-JANET58 or go online to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Ray Comfort is with us, founder and CEO of Living Waters, the best-selling author of more than 100 books. He is the co-host of an award-winning TV program, The Way of the Master. It is seen in 190 countries. He is the producer of award-winning movies that have been viewed by millions. His YouTube channel has almost 275 million views, by the way, over a million subscribers. Why not do that today, by the way? You'll be the better for it. And one of the books we're talking about is called Why Jesus? Answering Life's Most Important Question. And what Ray does in this book is he transcribes a lot of the conversations he's had when he gets on his bike, takes his precious little dog, and they go out and share the gospel. And he talks about how he uses the method he's been describing to us thus far. Really this idea of terrifying sinners with the law. So he preaches through the law before he shares with them the grace of God. And that's extremely biblical, but it's extremely... Mm, argumentative in some corners of the church, capital C universal today, where people think that that's not a loving way to show how much God cares for us. You have to prove first that you're sick unto death and that God has given us the cure for the disease. So this goes back, you start the book, Why Jesus, with one of these transcriptions, Ray, and it echoes what you had a conversation earlier this week with a Muslim. Where did we get this idea that somehow in our own moral code, in our own economy, we're, quote, good people. And goodness is enough to qualify us for entrance into eternity. 
Yeah, we, we make the mistake of uh, the Jews in Paul's day to go about to establish our own righteousness, being ignorant of the righteousness of God. Mm. I heard an analogy many years ago about a girl who's looking at a sheep as it eats green grass. She thought how white that sheep looks against the green grass. Then it began to snow, and she thought how dirty that sheep looks against the white snow. Mm. And if you and I measure ourselves by man's standard, we come up pure white. I mean, my life compared to Adolf Hitler's make me look, makes me look like a saint. But with the snowy white righteousness of God's law, it shows us what we are in truth, that we're all as an unclean thing and our righteous deeds are as filthy rags in his sight. You know, we're talking about the, the power of the conscience. That's, that's what's on my side. That's the ally right in the heart of the enemy that agrees with the commandments. The Bible says, uh, we show the work of the law written upon their heart, the conscience bearing witness. It's like a judge on the courtroom of the mind, and you summon it to speak when you bring up those commandments. Um, I like to say to evolutionists, could you explain to me why evolution gave us a conscience that agrees with the Ten Commandments? Mm -hmm. And they've got no answer. You shall not steal, you shall not lie, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not use God's name in vain. You've got no idea how many atheists say, yeah, I shouldn't do that. (laughs) <laughs> because they've got the conscience that condemns them. They know in their heart God should be first. They're like Adam hiding behind a bush of atheism. You know, before I was a Christian, I was uh, I was on a surfing trip, and I saw a car in front of me, and it had a God first sticker on the back. That's all it said, God first. And, Jana, I can't tell you how quickly I wanted to overtake that car because mm. I intuitively knew that God gave me life, and he should be the focal point of my affections, and I didn't want that. And so I just overtook that car and forgot about it. But it shows the power of God's law because that was the first of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Um, So many people are guilty of a crime called inordinate affection, not even knowing what it is. And that is people will say, well, you know, I, I, I believe in God, but I love my family. That's loving the gift more than the giver. Years ago, I purchased a a big color television set for my kids, which is a big deal about 200 years ago. And and when I walked into the room, they were watching TV. They didn't even look up when I got home. And this was dead. The the highlight of their homecoming had become a non-event. So I walked up to the television in front of them, turned it off and stood between them and it and said, if you love that more than you love me, it's going because that's a wrong order of, of affections. You're setting your affection on the gift rather than a giver. And if we love anything, mum, dad, brother, sister, dog, person, whatever, more than we love God, we're setting our affection on the gift rather than the giver. And that's a sin. It's a violation of the first commandment. Wow. You have a chapter in Why Jesus specifically on witnessing to Jews. You know, it's interesting because when you look at Paul's missionary journeys, what does he do? He goes to the synagogue first, right, before he goes to the Gentiles. And we know salvation comes by way of the Jews. So using this terrifying sinners with the law. Do you find it, and forgive me for the clumsiness of the words because I don't think they're appropriate, but is it easier or harder to talk to Jews about the law before you get to God's grace than it would be for any other people group? No, not at all. Um, Paul went to the Jews first because they had the law. That's why he went to the Jew first, before the Gentile, Jew before the Greek, because they had the law. Romans 3 says, what advantage has the Jew? 
great in every way because unto them were given the oracles of God. The spoken law of God was given to them. So they had the knowledge of sin. That's why Peter, when he stood up on the day of Pentecost, preaching to devout Jews from every nation under heaven who were there to celebrate the giving of, giving of God's law on Mount Sinai, that's what Pentecost was all about, he didn't preach wrath to them or judgment or law. He just preached grace because these were Jews who had the law, had the knowledge of sin. They were devout Jews. And that's why they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And that's the principle of biblical evangelism. Law to the proud, grace to the humble. If you meet someone who says, oh, I've sinned against God. I feel so guilty. Don't give them the law. Mm -hmm. They're already convinced of their sin, which hardly ever happens. You give them grace. But if someone says, I'm a good person, say, well, let's see if you are. Let's see if you've kept those Ten Commandments. And you just go through them and open up the spiritual nature of the law as Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount. That's all Jesus was doing. The Bible says of the Messiah, he shall magnify the law and make it honorable. You've heard it said by them of old, you shall not commit adultery. Seventh Commandment. But I say to you, whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already within his heart. What's he doing? He's giving us the spiritual nature of the law. God requires truth in the inward parts. He doesn't want an outward piety. He wants truth in the inward parts. And that's what brought me to the Savior. When I realized that God saw my thought life, I thought, man, mm. am I in big trouble on Judgment Day because I was born, born, burning with unlawful sexual desire like every red-blooded male. And so that's what sinners need. They need the spiritual nature of the law. And that's what happened to Paul. As you read the book of Romans, Paul speaks of that law. He says, the law which I thought was ordained to death, uh, life, brought death to me. He said, by the law is the knowledge of sin. I had not known sin, but by the law. And so it's essential to do what Jesus did with the rich young ruler, where he said, you know the commandments. We need to say that to sinners. Same with, with uh, Nathan and David. Nathan didn't talk about a wonderful plan or a God loved David. He had committed adultery, he had committed murder, he had broken the commandments. So he said, you are the man. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? And that's when David, when he was terrified, said, I have sinned against God. And then we have the beautiful penitent prayer of Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions against you. And you only have I sinned in another's evil in your sight. That's how we should come to Christ. That's what a contrite heart is. Mm. Wow. When you've gotten permission from someone to film them, when they say, okay, uh, I'll be happy to be on your YouTube channel, you start with a very interesting question, which is, I want to talk to you about the afterlife. You don't say, I want to tell you about Jesus. You don't put a track in their hand. You ask this question about the afterlife. There's a reason that you do that. Share with our friends why that's the opening salvo in these conversations. Well, we're not dogs. We're not horses, cats, or cows. We're not primates. We are made in the image of God. And the some cry is a cry within every heart of Oh, I don't want to die. In fact, Hebrews says, the book of Hebrews says, we are haunted by the fear of death all our lifetime. Mm. God has written eternity upon our heart. So when someone says to me, look, death is just natural, I say, no, it's not. The Bible says death is an enemy. You can overcome an enemy. I said, well, it's just, you just got to accept it. Everybody dies. I sound like a puppy on a freeway. It's going to roll over and let trucks roll over him. No, if he's a sensible dog, he'll run off the freeway because even a dog will see its danger. You're a human being and there's this great 18-wheeler heading for you called death. There should be something in you that says, oh, is there any way I can get out of the way of this? And I say, are you doing that? Are you thinking about eternity? Are you thinking about death? Are you, are you praying? Are you seeking God? Are you asking people questions? Because you are made in God's image. 
God gave you a will to live, and you need to listen to it today. And I say, are you afraid of dying? And people say, a little bit. I say, a little bit? I say, it's huge. Someone's going to put you in a box and put you six feet under the ground. Everything in you should be repulsed. And that's why you need the Savior. So let's look at why we die according to the Bible. Would you be interested? And I say, yeah. And then I say a phrase that I use a lot. I say, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God promised he would destroy death, which he did. And in the New Testament, we're told how he did it. Are you interested? And even an atheist is interested. I've had atheists who say, I don't believe in God. And I say that to them. They say, well, tell me about it. Because mm. because they've got that will to live. And so that's that's the path I take. They have a will to live. That's the key to talking to them about their salvation. And I address the conscience, as Jesus addressed the conscience of the rich young ruler, by going through the commandments. And the, the, the key verse that I use all the time, and I see that it widens the eyes of sinners, is to say the wages of sin is death. God is paying you in death for your sins. You're on death row, and your death will be evidence to you that God is deadly serious about sin. So you've earned your wages. You've told me you're a lying, thieving, blasphemous, fornicating, adulterer at heart. You need a savior. You need to come to Christ and you need to do it today because death could seize upon you tonight. And often people will say, boy, I hear what you're saying. What should I do? And that's when you share the necessity of repentance and faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Oh. Ray Comfort is with us. I'm going to take one last break. And when we come back, the book is called Why Jesus. It's one of over 100 books that Ray has authored, answering life's most important questions. But it really does raise an interesting question. Why Jesus? And so, Ray, when we come back, do you ever get pushback on the claims of exclusivity that Jesus is the only way to God? And if you get that pushback, teach us how we should respond. Again, preaching the law and then grace, and then you can show them exactly the plan of salvation. The book is called Why Jesus? Wonderful transcriptions of interactions that Ray has had as he teaches us in a way that's not too complex, that's not fearful at all, a way that's very biblical, straightforward, but it starts with the presupposition of obedience on our part to do what we're called to do, which is go and tell, and second of all, matched by an unbridled passion for our fellow man that none should perish. Back after this. Ray Comfort, what a joy to be in his presence and to really understand that this isn't about making witnessing difficult. It's a matter about walking through the truths of Scripture, the law and then grace, which is so opposite of the approach of so many churches in America today. And yet, as his videos will attest, it is so biblical that just watching people change before your very eyes when Ray has these conversations, it's just stunning and it's powerfully effective. So his book, Why Jesus, is one of over 100 that he's written. I've got it on my info page. Click through to learn how to get your copy, but it is superb. So I asked the question because why Jesus is such a huge question. And in the marketplace of ideas, we get a lot of pushback saying, you know, there's a kind of an arrogance, a hubris, an elitism in saying that Jesus is the only way to God. People will say over and over again, there are many paths to God. And yet the Bible says exactly the opposite. One name under heaven, whereby we shall be saved. What happens when someone pushes back and says, you know, I don't like the exclusive nature of that? How do you respond? Well, if you're on a plane with me and I said to you, hey, I've got three gifts for you. I've got a handful of diamonds as a gift. I've got a stack of gold uh, worth about $10 million. 
or I've got a parachute. Which would you choose? You say, oh, go for the, go for the gold. $10 million. Wonderful. But if the plane was going to crash and I said, I've got three gifts for you, which would you like? Which would you like? <laughs> You'd like a fistful of diamonds, a $10 million of gold, or a parachute? He'd say, get that gold out of my face. Give me the parachute. Why? Because you've seen your danger. And when you look at all the great religions, uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, etc., um, they, they're all they're all for something. They offer some religious works that you do to earn your way to heaven. Uh, but the thing that shows us we're about to crash is the moral law. When you bring that in, it shows that your repentance isn't going to save you. Good works isn't going to save you because you've sinned against God. You've violated his law. God is a judge. And anything you offer him isn't religious works, isn't good works. It's an attempt to bribe the judge of the universe. And God will not be bribed. The scripture says sacrifice, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to God. You even try and bribe most judges. I can't say all judges nowadays, but most judges just try slipping them a bribe. You'd be in big trouble. You get more wrath upon you because you're trying to bribe a judge. Or how much more with God? By saying, God, look at me. I'm lying on beds of nails, sitting in hard pews. I'm suffering. I'm suffering religious works. I'm doing good works. No, God will not be bribed. He will not turn away his wrath for anything except the cross. God Mm. came down, suffered and died on the cross. He satisfied that law. We broke God's law. Jesus paid the fine. Then he rose from the dead, defeated death. That means God can grant everlasting life, forgiveness of sins in an instant to a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Muslim, an atheist, all because of his amazing grace. And so he is the only parachute given and given by God. The Bible says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put him on. Trust in him. Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. John says in his epistles, whoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. In fact, Paul says in another place, he says the things that the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And so there's only one name by which we must be saved, and that's through the name of Jesus. And that's what you and I as Christians are told to preach, preach Jesus. You talk about the Zacchaeus and the Methuselah approach. What's the difference between the two? Oh, I can't remember what I said. (laughs) 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 Oh, Jen, I don't know if I told you, but I did the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. I wrote four books at once, which was... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which was no real problem until the editors came back to me all at once with corrections. And they said, rewrite this chapter. And I, there was a book I wrote called oh, something about being free of stress. I've never been so stressed by any book in my life. <laughs> and so my, my brain is confused and I have no idea what he's talking about. But it sounds great. It does. Well, let me embellish it for you, sir. You said practice the Zacchaeus presentation for those who are waiting for a bus and the Methuselah presentation for those you're sitting next to on a plane. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's a wonderful thought. Yes. So you, you need to be ready with a short gospel presentation. You should know how to present the gospel in 30 seconds to a, when you see a bus coming or you've got someone in a plane, you've got four hours sitting next to them. You can take your time, give the Methuselah approach. So you practice what you preach, you practice in the shower, you practice in the mirror, you practice with your dog. You just think about that which concerns you. And if you're concerned for the salvation of lost, you will practice how you'd speak to an atheist, how you'd say, look, do you really believe the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything, which is what an atheist believes. And I've seen so many atheists 
backslide instantly when they're confronted with that thought. An Mm. atheist believes the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything. Flowers and birds and trees, the sun, the moon, the stars, the seasons, fruits, male and female and all the species, the marvels of the human eye, the miracle of childbirth, nothing created all that which is worse than insane. And when they're confronted with that, they say, well, there was something in the beginning, just don't know what it was. Turns out that he doesn't want it to be the God of the Bible because he's looking at porn and living with his gorgeous girlfriend. That's his big problem. He loves his sin. And that's why he denies God's existence. Mm, Wow. So for someone who's listened to this hour and has picked up the contagion that you're spreading, which I hope they have, and they want to go, where do they start? The first time they go out there, let's say they stumble and they don't terrify sinners with the law, to use your words again beautifully, and they kind of mess it up and they stumble all over themselves and they go, that's it. I did it once. I'm back. I'm not doing it again. What do you say to that person? Because I know that you've had times where it's not worked well. If you did that as a baby, first time you went up to you fell over, you'd spend your whole life crawling, but you didn't. You got up and began walking. Janet, can I mention a YouTube channel that will really help people? Please. It's, it's our second channel. It's called Just Witnessing. Ray Comfort, Just Witnessing. Uh, that's the channel that could be very helpful to you because guess what's on it? It's Just Witnessing. In fact, I'm looking at it right now. You've got 145,000 subscribers. Now you got 145,001 because I just subscribed to that as well. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> so it's one of the multiple YouTube channels. When you subscribe, by the way, you're going to see Living Waters Espanol, Living Waters Europe, Living Waters International. I mean, this is how you get almost 275 million people who are viewing that. I Can I tell you one of the takeaways of that number is? And I made a mistake on the wrong number I had initially. Does it tell you something about the hunger in the human heart? Why are these? It's not all believers watching these channels by any stretch of the imagination. So watch, be encouraged, learn. And as Ray has said, this isn't about terrifying you with all the possibilities that might happen. It's by you boldly getting into that car and driving. But you have to do it again and again and again. And it starts with number one, obedience. God told you to do it. You need to do it because he's not willing that they should perish. And wanting to have a heart like him, if truly, if your heart isn't broken, for knowing that tonight, by the time you put your head on your pillow, there will be others who will put their head on their pillows and will wake up in eternity, eternally separated from God. If that doesn't break your heart, then awake, O sleeper, because that's what we've been called to do, that passion. That's what Ray's got, fire in his bones, and that's why I love talking to him. So some of that gets transmitted to the rest of us. God bless you, Ray. Just love you in the Lord. Thank you, friends. We'll see you next time on In the Market with Janet Parshall.